Well, if you're new to our church, and we do welcome you today, but you may not be aware that we've started this series back a few weeks ago called The Culture War and the Christian. And I've been explaining each uh, Sunday that we've been on the subject that uh, how this thing developed. I was in my study early in the morning, and uh, I was just trying to figure things out. And I, I asked the Lord, you know, what, what, what am I supposed to be thinking and feeling with all of the stuff that is going on in our culture. And so um, the sermon series was born out of that, basically, where I started looking at the things that were happening. You know, we have had some uh, interaction on our YouTube channel and our Facebook when we, uh, by the way, we stream, uh, we stream live on Facebook and also on YouTube. And uh, when we do that, there are a number of people who like to give their opinion and, uh, always interesting to hear people's opinions. And several people have actually put on there, there is no culture war. Now I have, uh, I have tried to remember that I am your pastor and what I say may reflect on you. So I have refrained from making comment, but um, I don't know what planet those people are living on because I don't know how you cannot know that there is a culture war going on today. I, I don't know how you can cannot understand that. But, um, but nonetheless, uh, what is a culture war? We defined it as a conflict between groups with different values, ideals, beliefs, or philosophies. We even said that it is a battle of worldviews. And that kind of helps us a little bit. There are a lot of different topics that this involves. Uh, gender dysphoria, social injustice, uh, politics, protecting the preborn, uh, same-sex relationships, public morality, and today we're gonna focus in on another one of those topics that has become a, uh, an interesting front that the culture war is being fought on, and that is the family. We're gonna look at the family. The timing of this worked out beautifully as I was looking at the series and, and what we could deal with. We're calling this uh, a hot zone, and this is part two. There are gonna be multiple parts to this thing. Uh, part one was the government. We looked at what the Bible says about the government. Today, we're gonna look at what the Bible says about family. And in doing this, I, I want to... Uh, in just a moment, I'm gonna give you the three main points. You can go ahead and write them down. That way, if I get to go in a little bit long and you have to leave uh, to beat the Methodist to the restaurant, you can uh, have all your notes. And uh, so, uh, but uh, uh, I'm gonna give those to you in just a minute. Before I do that though, when we think about Mother's Day and we think about uh, kids, we think about learning and developing, I came across a couple of pictures that I wanted to share with you. Uh, and uh, this first one is that of being surprised that mom might actually have a different name. Do you remember when that happened in your life? Uh, you mean to tell me your real name isn't mom? Do you... Uh... Somebody asked you when you were a kid, what's your mother's name? Mom, thought that's what it was. How about this next one I came across? When mom calls you by your full name, you've seen that face? <laughs> Maybe make that face. Uh, how many of you grew up thinking that was just one name? Your whole, yeah, we have a middle child who uh, someone would ask her what her first name was. She would say Amanda Gail Patrick. That's what she was known as. She went by it a lot a lot. 
So when we think about a culture war, um, who is at war and what are the consequences of the war need to be addressed. And we've said this each time we've dealt with this subject. So let me refresh your memory on that. First of all, we have the traditionalists or the conservatives basically versus the progressives or the liberals, depending on how you name these groups. But uh, there are all kinds of um, degrees within you might not be at one end of the spectrum. You might be somewhere in the middle. I don't know where you, where you are, where you line up. But um, uh, nonetheless, what is at stake? For those who are conservative and traditionalist, at least, uh, we tend to believe that what is at stake is our traditional American values. Not only those that are rooted in Judeo-Christian beliefs, but also the institutions are at stake which help foster those and pass those on to the next generation. That would be, by the way, there are two institutions that God gave us, just two. You can narrow everything really down to these and we're gonna talk about uh, both and uh, both kind of involved today because the first institution is the family. God instituted the family. The second is the church. So we're going to relate. Obviously, I'm speaking to the church and those who may be joining us watching this out of curiosity. uh, Maybe they're not part of a church, but they want to see what's going on uh, regarding this topic. I came across this uh, this quote, and it's a a great quote. Uh, It's by James Davison Hunter, and it is in his book, Culture Wars, The Struggle to Define America. And this is what he said. It is in the context of institutional structures that cultural conflict becomes crystallized. Now that's kind of a fancy way of saying that you really begin to see and note what is happening in the, in the cultural conflict, the cultural war, when it comes to understanding the institutions, that is the family today. There is no battle, listen carefully, there is no battle more important than the one over the family. You probably have heard it said, and I believe it to be exactly true, that is, as goes the family, so goes the nation. There are a lot of questions today concerning the family. Let me give you the three main points that we're gonna talk about. You can write them in and uh, draw some pictures while I preach, if you like, on the rest of your paper. But uh, we're gonna look at, number one, the institution of the family. We're gonna talk about that term a little bit more, what that means when God created instituted the family. Number two, we're going to look at the instruction for the family. Does the family actually come with a manual? And we're going to talk about that. And then uh, number three, we're going to talk about the influences on the family. And interestingly enough, there's a passage of scripture that pretty much defines three influences when it comes to the family. Now, I want to be careful with this as I have tried to be with all of the things that I've talked about because um, as far as these hot zones, because I want you to know this. You may not agree with me and I understand that. I I taught over at Louisiana Baptist University this past week in a a meeting of about 100 students and and when I was teaching them, uh, I finished the the lesson and I, I came off the platform and and I said to someone, I said, well, I hope that particular point didn't, didn't bother anybody. And very quickly, the person I spoke to said, well, there are a lot of people who disagree with you. So um, uh, you might be one of those that disagrees with me, and, I, and I'm okay with that. But I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you, would you at least consider what it is I'm sharing with you? At least do that. Because it is my hope and it is my prayer 
that we will line up the family with the word of God and not allow the trends of the culture to dictate what the family is. I believe this. I think that you can do one of two things. You can look at the word of God and try to make the family consistent with it, or you can look at what you want the family to be and try to make the word of God say what you want it to say, and that is a mistake. So having said that, let's move into this first point, the institution of the family. I want you to join me in the very first chapter of the Bible. Would you look there with me, please? The very first chapter, Genesis chapter one, and we're gonna look down in verse 26 to begin with, and we're gonna be in several different places. I hope that you have your Bible handy, and uh, if you, uh, for any reason, don't feel like turning there, would you at least write down the text that we share? Most of these verses will come up on the board, thanks to our uh, creative arts director, Brother Justin. He does a great job of putting those verses out there for you. Genesis 1, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Let me pause a moment. We have two pronouns right away that might need to be addressed. Us an hour. Someone looks at that and says, well, God said, let us. This is obviously a picture of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So he's speaking to himself when he says, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion. If you have a, a highlighter or a, a pen that you can underline that in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline that word dominion. It shows up again in our reading of this text in just a moment. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it have dominion, there's the word again, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, uh, some real simple stuff here. First of all, we believe, I believe, that the word of God says God made the race of mankind. He made man, and then he made woman. We're given that picture in a, um, keep in mind, Moses is writing what you, what you have just read, uh, Moses is getting it looking back on the garden because God gave it to him that way. So he explains first that God has made man, male and female, and then he tells you the story of how he makes woman, how he pulls from him, from man that is the rib, and makes woman. It's an interesting story, but I'm not gonna uh, dive into all of it with you. Uh, the Bible says he made the race of mankind male and female. Now today, this is a big issue. There's no question about that. We, uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, nonsensical stuff and, and this message, this series, if it results in nothing else, I hope it gives you confidence to call that which is nonsense, nonsense. And, and, and quit saying, well, maybe I can't tell them that sounds idiotic. No, you can. You can tell them because it doesn't make any sense. It, a lot of times what people are telling you are logical contradictions and you need to tell them. That's a logical contradiction. I want you to try something today. I thought this would be fun. 
You know, a lot of places today offer free dessert or free meal to a mom. And so I want you to go into that restaurant this afternoon and tell them, no matter who you are, guys, tell them today you're identifying as a mother. (laughs) What's wrong with that? Amen? They'll look at you like you're crazy. Well, that's the look they ought to give you. And that's the look you ought to give others when someone tries to tell you that man was not made male and female. Guys, it's a pretty simple thing. And I, I'm not a scientist. I didn't even pay attention in science. And so I, you know, I, I look back sometimes and I think, man, my parents sure wasted a lot of money on a good education I did not get. And, uh, uh, but, uh, uh, but anybody can read on it. Anybody can look it up. And, and, and you've got uh, women have a couple of X chromosomes and, and men, you have an X with a Y chromosome. The Y says it all. You cannot do a chromosome transplant. It is impossible to do. It is not, listen, it is not in the mind. It is in the DNA. The sex was determined before you were born, not when you start thinking you're something else. God made us male and female. A lot of questions today. I filled out an application the other day for the doctor, and and it said something about, um, uh, boy, I should have thought this through a little bit better. It just came in the spur of the moment to me, so forgive me. But it was, uh, what was your uh, gender at birth? What do you identify as? And I'm thinking, this is crazy. Now, I'm sorry if that offends anybody, but my God made us male and female. You can change hormones or you can pump them into you, but it does not change the chromosome. I don't quite understand why. Let me use a phrase in our world today. We don't just follow the science. That's another thing that really gets under my skin. Why is it okay to follow the science on this and not follow the science on this? Are you not seeing the inconsistencies? Are you not understanding? Listen, you are. I know you are. You should be. Ultimately, where we're at today is to be able to understand the word of God. God said he made us male and female and God blessed them. Now, the Bible says he gave to man dominion. Dominion. Now, literally, and I'm not going to get into a whole Mother Earth thing with you for a moment. I'm going to try to be careful with that. Uh, but, But God made man and gave man the dominion over the earth. The earth does not have dominion over man. But I ask you a question, a thought provoking question, because it has to do with the definition of the family and what's happening to the family today. And that question is this Who had dominion? Don't answer it out loud, please. But who had dominion over the earth before God gave it to man? Someone said, well, God, no, 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 hold on. The Bible tells us in the book of Ezekiel, it describes for us that Satan was in the garden of Eden. The Bible says this about him in Ezekiel 28, verses 13 through 15. I'll not read the whole text, but it says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. And it goes on and lists the the stones. You were in the holy mountain of God, the Bible says. You were perfect, verse 15, in all your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. It is a reference to Lucifer. When you're reading the word of God, we read in Genesis, one, uh, chapter one, I should say, Genesis chapter one. And, and then if you get over to chapter three, you find that Lucifer is there. He is in the form of the serpent, but the Bible does not give us in the first two chapters when he fell. It doesn't talk about the fall. You just see him appear in the garden. 
May I suggest to you that I do believe he is the reason why the condition of things are as they are in Genesis 1 verse 2. This is not a sermon about that, but I just want to say to you that he had control over the earth. Now, now listen carefully. He had dominion over the earth. He had a major problem with pride, the Bible says. So what do you think he thinks about the dominion being given to you as a family? This is why there has been an attack on the family from the very beginning. The attack on the family comes from Satan, but it's also in other areas. It's in our society. So what is the family? Uh, I think it's important that we define that. I'm going to refer to something uh, a couple of times today, if, if you don't mind, because I think it is concisely put, it is clearly put. And so I'm going to refer to what, the, uh, what our Southern Baptist brethren referred to as the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, because in that, it was concisely put, clearly put, what the family is and how it, how it relates. Uh, and so listen carefully to this as I read a portion of it. God has ordained the family as the foundational institution of human society. It is composed of persons related to one another by marriage, blood, or adoption. And then they went on to define this, and this becomes important in the world we live in. Marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in holy covenant or in covenant commitment for a lifetime. Now, there's more that I could read to you. I don't want to bore you with all of that, but I find it interesting that when you're defining the family, it becomes important to define what marriage is. And this, of course, is from a biblical standpoint. So what then is the debate? Pastor, if the, if the Bible tells us what the family is supposed to be, what is the big debate? Well, the debate is huge because those who fall on the, uh, the more... Um, uh, traditional side when it comes to understanding the nuclear family, which is what we just read. They believe, we believe, that God ordained the family and it is established in nature and it is uh, essential, this is a very important point, for social harmony. You see, the family and the ranks and structure within are a microcosm of society as a whole. If you change the family, you change society. You change the structure of society. So if the biblical view of the family brings social harmony, what does a non-biblical view of the family bring? Would be the opposite of social harmony. Okay, so uh, what is the other side? The progressive view of the nuclear family is that the nuclear family ought to be done away with. Why? Because it is viewed as, and I found this very interesting when I came across this statement, it is viewed as a symbol and a source of inequality and oppression for women in society. You see, in a nuclear family, typically we look at the family as the head of the family being the man and the man having to answer to God and the woman in the home being the, the mother uh, of, of equal value with the man. And I'll read more about that in just a moment. Yet when it comes to uh, rank and order to accomplish anything, there is an order within the home, an organization within the home. And God is the one who gave it, not man. I asked my wife about this uh, earlier this week. You know, you, you gotta be careful when you ask your wife questions like this. 
I said, honey, I have read. I have read that there are some who view what we believe about the family as being the symbol and source of inequality and uh, oppression for women. I said, do you feel that that is true? And she said to me an interesting thing. She said, you know, she said, I like the fact that you take the responsibility for the family and you're gonna answer to God. I like that. And she said, you know, I guess it depends largely upon the husband, what view the husband may take. And we're gonna get into more detail about this in just a minute, but I I wanna clarify for you that there is a push to redefine the family away from what you and I would call the nuclear family. And it is uh, emphasized that the roles within the family are obviously shared, equal responsibilities of the home, children of the children and of economic burdens related to their support. So with this, there is a push to redefine the family. I'm gonna say some things now that might upset some and I don't mean to upset anybody. I'm just trying to give it to you plainly and clearly so that you can do with it whatever you wanna do with it. Um, Many of us are no doubt familiar with the terms uh, Marxism, socialism, communism. Uh, Marx actually taught that the nuclear family was a problem and needed to be done away with. In the teachings of the Marxist, we find terms like, like this, that the nuclear family performs ideological functions for capitalism. The family acts as a unit of consumption and teaches passive acceptance of hierarchy. This was an interesting point that is made concerning Marxism. It is also, that is the nuclear family, is also the institution through which wealthy, uh, the wealthy pass down their private property to their children, thus reproducing class inequality. You see, in a Marxist socialistic government, in a communistic government, the government feels like you are wrong for you to work your life and earn whatever it is you have earned and then pass it on to your children. So what will happen in that type of a government is you will start having to pay very hefty inheritance taxes, which in many cases cause you to lose what you have worked hard to build. The reason behind it, you should not pass that on. It's wrong for you to pass on to the next generation that wealth. That's the Marxist view. Not the biblical view, mind you, but the Marxist view. There's a group, and I I wanna be careful with this. Listen carefully what I'm about to say. You know the group as Black Lives Matters. And I believe that black lives do matter. I believe that white lives matter, brown lives matter, and every life matters. I believe every life matters before God. And I understand the movement. I understand the need to say that this group may be socially uh, oppressed and, and we need to try to help. I understand all of that and I'm not trying to take away from that. When the Black Lives Matters movement first came out, I did a little bit of research. I just looked up their website and I looked at a category called what we believe. I clicked on it and I read the words that say We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. That's what it said. And I refer to it in past tense because if you go to the website now, it has been taken down. It it was taken down last fall in 2020. 
The reason it was taken down is because everybody jumped on top of it. Everybody saw that the movement was not in support of the nuclear family. I'm all for being in support of any individual. I am not in favor of supporting anything that goes against the nuclear family. We need to understand these things. We need to be aware of it. Because of, uh, well, I'll leave that alone and I'm gonna move to uh, point number two with you. The instruction for the family. Will you let me do that? Point number two, the instruction for the family. So we have uh, society and we have Satan and we have uh, all of this stuff that is happening to somehow uh, diminish the family and make it where what we understand is the family uh, no longer the family. And so this is a very important thing. So would God, just just a rhetorical question, would God create something and not give it instruction? Would God create the family and not give the family instruction? Would God create the church and not give the church instruction? Well, we would all say no to that. I'm I'm sure, I hope that you would say no to that because when God created the family, he did give instruction. When God created the church, he did give instruction. And what's interesting is the two are very closely related in their instruction. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 5, and we'll go there in a little bit, not right now, but in Ephesians 5, we find that the example of the marriage, the husband and wife, is a depiction of the relationship between Christ and his church. So we have that uh, to understand better the way Christ works with his church. But let me come to a passage that many of you are no doubt familiar with. It is uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a great, uh, incredible passage of scripture, Matthew chapter seven. I'll begin in verse 24. If you'll look there with me, please. Matthew seven, verse 24. Jesus is speaking, of course, and he is saying, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, let me pause for a moment. By now, you have no doubt recognized that text. You're aware of the story. And I'm gonna read a little bit more to you in a moment. But before we do that, I wanna draw your attention to what we have just read. Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Now, now this really becomes the, uh, the basis for our worldview. Since the sayings of God were written so long ago, Should we change them, someone might think, someone might say? Since the sayings of God were written during a time thousands of years ago for us, a couple thousand years ago, and and in the Old Testament even more, we're talking 5,000 years ago, those things that happened 6,000 years ago, and, and people say, you know, we ought to just change those things and make them more relevant for where we are today. This becomes a major problem. Does God actually do that? Is God instructing us? Listen, what I'm telling you is only good for the day and age that we are speaking it in. It's not good for generations to come. Do you think that's what he did? Or do you hold to the fact that the sayings of God 
are still relevant today, though they were given hundreds upon hundreds of years ago. Do you think that the Holy Spirit knew that when he gave it to us? Do you think God knew that when he gave that to us, that we would be generations afterward needing to understand and needing what he had to say? He said, if you'll do the things that I say, I will liken you to a wise man who built his house on the rock Verse 25, and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. You know the story, you've heard it, you probably sang it when you were a little kid, if you grew up in Sunday school. My point is this, the Bible lays claim to this thought. If you follow the word of God, you can build a house that is established on the rock and the rains will come and the floods will come and the storms will come. God never promises you that a Christian home founded on the word of God, will not have to endure the storm. What he does promise you is you will endure. You'll make it through the storm. But if you build your house on the sand, what is that person again who does this? The person who hears the word and does not do it. I would go farther with you. The person who hears the word and changes it. The person who hears the word and says, I don't really think that's applicable for us today. Let's change that. Let's do something different. That's not for us. And so I caution you on this because if the family is going to endure the storm, if, 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 the, if the nation goes the way of the family and the family is destroyed, then what does that say about our nation? What happens? in the world that you and I live in. And I I wanna say to you, you may be thinking in terms of, pastor, hasn't there been this argument for a number of years? Yes. Hasn't there been this battle for a number of years? Yes. But I will say to you that the family has never been at this level on life support ever before in the history of the United States. So in Ephesians chapter five, we have a very controversial text. It is a text that those who are of a more modern way of thinking of the family would have a real problem with. As a matter of fact, many men like to start this text off with verse 22, and they may even amen this. Wives, submit to your own husbands. (laughs) His wife must not be present. I heard, uh, I heard the story, you guys, you know, when St. Peter was organizing the men in heaven, he, he said, I'm gonna make this simple here. All of you men who uh, ran your homes, I want you to stand over here on this side, on the, on the left side here. All you men who uh, ran uh, your home based on what your wife told you to do and uh, you did whatever she said, I want you to stand over here on the right. So everybody lined up over here except for one man, just one man standing over here. He said, look at this. He said, one man. He said, I want you to do something for me. I want you to tell all these men standing over here who obeyed their wives, I want you to tell them how you got to stand in this line. He said, okay. He turned around to the group and he said, my wife told me to stand over here. (laughs) So guys like to start this text in verse 22, and this is a controversial verse. 
What you should do is start in verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Oh, we leave that one out. Let's not start there. Oh yeah, let's start there. Because if you start there, you understand the rest of the text. But to start just with a wife, you don't understand the text. Submitting to one another, what does this mean? The word submit in this text, and I encourage you to look it up, not while I'm preaching, but you can take a note on it and look it up later. The Greek word that's used here is a military term. That's what you'll find. When you research that word submit, it's a military term and it refers to rank and order. So I wanna ask you this question. We got a lot of military in our church. We've got some that are serving right now and those who have served uh, for many, many years in the past and you're retired now, still finding ways that you can serve the country. Can you imagine a military without rank and order? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine for a moment that your superior officer gathers together your whole group and he says to you, uh, guys, uh, ladies, uh, we're gonna take a vote about whether we wanna go over here and, and charge this hill. And uh, so let's vote. Can you imagine such a case? Can you imagine somebody of a lower rank going up to a general or a captain and saying to them, by the way, I just want you to know my opinion is as good as your opinion and what I wanna do is different than what you wanna do, so we're not gonna do it. You say that's ridiculous, pastor. You're absolutely right and it's the exact same problem that's occurring in the families. May I say to you that a military without rank and order has no organization and cannot function. And may I say to you that a family that wants to remove whatever God has put in place also has no organization and has difficulty moving and there is utter chaos that is involved in that relationship. I'm gonna use a term that is uh, controversial and it has to do with much of what I've already said to you and that word is patriarchal. Some people will argue that the Bible is written from a patriarchal viewpoint. Patriarchal, of course, describes a home where the husband is responsible before God for the home. If you're a single mom, your role is very difficult because in many ways you do act as the husband and the wife, the father and the mother, and it is very, very difficult. And our prayers are with you. We want you to know that, and we're here to try to help you. I will tell you that if you are a single mom, you need to try your best to fill. If you've got a, a child, particularly a young lady, uh, this becomes a little concerning uh, for you. And I know this is a trial for many of our single moms. There needs to be a male role model somewhere in there, a grandfather perhaps, or even somebody from the church that comes alongside, a, a couple that you form good friendships with that can help some way to give what is so often needed some form of, of male acceptance. And I'm not speaking to you as a pastor so much as I am a psychologist for a moment with you. It is a problem in our culture and we know it, we see it. Many of us don't know what to do with it. The church is a family that comes along and helps the family. And wherever there is a need for help, the church should be there to help. And so I'm not, I'm not uh, trying to step over a family that may be without a certain role where it is so challenging for you to make up that other role. I, I understand. But what I am talking to you about is this uh, formation of the nuclear family for a moment and the roles that are given being so very controversial. We continue reading in Ephesians 5. It begins with submitting to one another. That's where it starts. 
And then it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Well, that passage of scripture, some might say, well, that's old, man. That was given back there uh, a couple thousand years ago. That needs to be done away with. Well, I don't agree with that. Um, and I don't think you can have what, what is understood as a biblical worldview and, and do away with that. But then it also says, as also Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then the Bible says this in verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, I understand that there are men out there who do not love their wives the way Christ loves the church, but it does not change the instruction of the word of God. It does not change the instruction of the word of God. Husbands, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Literally, if the love is present, the following the lead is not a problem. If the love is not present, following the lead is a major problem. And I'm not suggesting abusive relationships. I'm not suggesting oppressive relationships. I'm not suggesting any of that. I'm suggesting that the relationship between husband and wife be as that between Christ and his church. And you may not be aware of this, or maybe you are, but the National Council of Churches has pressed for a removal of personal pronouns referring to any patriarchal form of leadership in the word of God. They are pressing that God the Father no longer be called the Father. They are pressing that God the Son no longer be called the Son. They are pressing that personal pronouns such as he be removed. They are pressing in, in such a way as to say that the Bible is written from a patriarchal viewpoint, therefore it needs to be done away with in the way these terms are used. I suggest to you that there is a reason why God did what he did and why he said what he said, and I'd like to share with you a couple of reasons why that exists. Uh, most recently, someone came to me and they said, are you aware that this particular church, and I'll not name the church, I don't know why, I'm just feeling kind, uh, <laughs> uh, but it's a well-known church. If I were to say the name of the pastor in the church, you probably would know it, and probably from this illustration, you would know what I'm talking about but they recently ordained uh, three women pastors. Every year, every year, someone comes to me and says, Pastor, what do you think about ordaining women for deacons? What do you think about uh, women pastors and having this speaker in? And every year that happens. We are a community church with the Baptist heritage, but a lot of people think that we're a non-denom church and, and that basically we don't draw the line. We do draw the line, by the way, and, and that line's pretty clear uh, with the scripture. And, um, and with me, it's pretty clear. So, uh, but what is happening is uh, we have this push to do away with what could be called a patriarchal family. The nuclear family represents the patriarchal family, but we, we have to do away with that, society is saying. That, that it is a, a symbol of inequality. And so I, I bring to your attention a couple of thoughts for whatever it's worth. First Timothy chapter two, Paul is writing to young Timothy 
And he makes this statement, and this statement doesn't sell well with people. I'm warning you ahead of time, okay? We probably need to put a little disclaimer at the beginning of, of this sermon when you post this that says, uh, caution, this message may upset some people. Uh, I don't know, but First uh, uh, Timothy 2, verse 12, and I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence, Paul said, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Now, can I share something with you here for just a moment? And I, and I want to do, uh, do this because I love you. All of us, uh, the greatest teachers in the world are mothers. Make no mistake about that. My mama taught me tremendous things. And I saw a little uh, caption the other day that read, um, uh, I will not get upset when my mother asks me computer questions because she taught me how to use a spoon. I thought that was pretty cool. I remember my mom teaching me how to tie my shoes. Those were pre-Velcro days. I remember her teaching me how to do that, little bunny ears, and I still say that when I, no, I don't. <laughs> but I, I remember that. You, you say, what do you get? Mothers are wonderful teachers, but Paul is making a statement. He's talking about in the church. He's talking about because, and this is so important, the church also sets a pattern for the family. The family has to be reflected in the church. If it's not, we're teaching children a different form of, of responsibilities in the home, and we have to be consistent. Paul, this is so important where we're living today. So Paul does not cite culture as a reason for what he says. Paul doesn't say, Timothy, the culture that you and I are living in right now, we just don't permit this. Paul goes back nearly 5,000 years. Are you listening? To creation. He said, the reason that I hold this view, Timothy, is because Adam was formed first, then Eve. There's an order in creation and there's an order within the family, Timothy, and we have to be aware of this order. There's a verse of scripture that we don't like. I'm gonna show it to you. I, I say we, I, a lot of people. Genesis 3, verse 16. The sin has taken place and God now is passing down some consequences. And verse 16 in Genesis 3 reads this way. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be to your husband and he shall rule over you. The word rule in that text means to govern or to have the final say. Now, now, guys, I'm going to say something to you, and I want, this to, I want you to follow me a moment. You are unwise if you do not listen to the heart of your wife. I married a very wise woman, very knowledgeable, and I listen carefully. I value her opinion, but I will stand before God one day and give an answer for the final decision for my family, as will you, men as will you. With that in mind, the Bible says this to Eve. Eve, he's going to rule over you. Okay, so here's what we've declared in our society. Are you ready? Long enough, God. That rule's been around too long. It's been like 7,000 years. 
Surely that's gone on long enough. Can I get an amen or no me or anything? Nothing. Who are we to stand before God and say, God, I know you created man. We know what you said back then. But we've come to the place where we disagree. Really? I want you to try something. I'm going to rename all of you to the name Zerubbabel. All of you now have the name Zerubbabel. So I want you to go home, get on the phone, change your Facebook, all that stuff. Go back and get you a different birth certificate so it reads Zerubbabel. Go to your workplace and tell them you now need your checks given in the name of Zerubbabel. You need everything done in the name of Zerubbabel because pastor came along one day and said, I think your name needs to be Zerubbabel. You say, you have lost it, Pastor Dave. There is no difference in what I just said And you telling God he can't do with his creation what he wants to do with his creation. No difference at all. It's not up to me to name you. It's not up to you to tell God what he can do with his own creation. The instruction has been given. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3 reads this way, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Now, fellas, I I want to encourage you, but I want to tell you something. Um, Well, there's so much I want to say, and I'm running out of time. I've already used up my time. You're not going to beat the Methodist. You're you're not going to do it. You're you're going to be late. Head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is a man. Women are tremendous organizers. Women are, let's get the job done. I love, oh man, women in this church, if it were not for the women in our church, we would not get much done. I, I, you ladies, I love you. Wow, you're incredible. And men, if you want to step back and let them lead, they will lead. Men, if you will not be the men God has called you to be, if you'll step back, they will take charge and they will probably do it better than you can do it. but you will answer to God for letting them. It's easy to step back. But God said, don't do it. You're gonna answer to him. The Baptist faith and message again clarifies a situation here. Let me read to you. The husband and wife are of equal worth before God since both are created in God's image. The marriage relationship models the way God relates to his people. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He is the God-given responsibility to provide for her, protect her, lead, and to lead his family. A wife is to submit herself graciously to the servant leadership of her husband, even as the church willingly submits to the headship of Christ. She being in the image of God, as is her husband, and thus equal to him, has the God-given responsibility to respect her husband and to serve as his helper in managing the household and nurturing the next generation. 
I know this is not popular today, but it's Bible. It's Bible. I want to close with this thought. The influences of the family in Joshua 24. Many of you are familiar with this. Joshua 24, verses 14 through 15. Some of you have this posted on your, uh, a portion of this posted on your house, maybe on your front door. Joshua 24, beginning verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Now I want you to see this. There are three categories to choose from. He said, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So let me talk about those three real quick. Maybe you're in this building right now. Maybe you're watching online. And what you have is religion, not relationship. Because that's the tradition. The tradition is a choice. There are many people right now involved in religion because their parents were involved in it. Because their parents were involved in it. Because somehow you think that's just what you do. What you need is a relationship with Jesus Christ, not religion. Tradition and religion can send you straight to hell. Because you think you have some form of a relationship with God when in fact you've never entered into it. You've never been born again. Some of these traditional groups don't even use that phrase, being born again. So I want you to know, you're not gonna go to heaven because you're a good person. You're not gonna go to heaven because you're part of a religious organization. The only way to get to heaven is to be born again and to have Jesus Christ as your savior. That is the only way. So if you're resting on tradition, it won't get you there. Secondly, the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell I want to set something up with this statement. If you'll follow me for a moment, I say set it up, meaning that later in our series, I'm going to be dealing more with it. Have you ever wondered where God came up with all that stuff he told Moses? You know, when you're reading in the Bible and, and God said things like, uh, uh, if a man lie with a beast, that's bestiality. If you have sex with a beast, you're to be killed. If you do this, you're to be that. You ever wonder where he came up with all that? You think God just sat up in heaven and he said, you know, I'm just gonna think up all these kind of things that people can sometimes do in the wickedness of man. No, no, no. If you study the, the text, the land that the people were going into, the God of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell, that is what they were doing. When the Bible speaks about homosexuality, it is what they were doing. When the Bible speaks of all those other things, it is what they were doing. And God said, look, you're gonna have to hear from me. These things are right. These things are wrong. Now, follow the word of God. And so I ask you to consider this. Are we following in modern day times the gods of the Amorites in whose land we dwell? It's the trend. Everybody else is doing it. <laughs> the Bible doesn't tell us, but I think that was probably the conversation going on when they were crucifying Jesus. What do you think we ought to do? Everybody's doing it. Popular vote. And then they're serving God. Serving God. 
what will you do? I want to go a step farther with you. I don't think you can have a combination of serving God and any of the others. And God knew we would try it. That's why he said, you shall have no other gods before me. If you study that text, it means no other gods before my face. You see, the gods of the Amorites were plural. The gods of the land of Canaan, where the people were going, they were plural. We like to do that. We like to bring in this one and this one and this one. And we have a little bit of humanism mixed in there with God. We have a little bit of a, of a secular worldview thrown in there with our biblical worldview. And we just take the word of God and we kind of mold it and shape it so that it does what we want it to do. Or we just try to follow the word of God. So my question for you is, what about your house? Is it on the rock? Following the sayings of God? Are they open to debate with you? Is that something you have to look at? You know, times have changed. Well, the word of God hasn't. It remains the same. I hope, I pray that you'll have a strong family, a strong home built on a solid foundation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. We ask God that you bless this time. And Lord, I know I've gone a little long with your people and I, I hope I haven't frustrated or aggravated anybody, God, that your Holy Spirit hasn't jarred loose. So I pray, God, that you'd help us. Help us just to serve you, love you, obey you, and if there's one here today that needs Christ, I pray they come to know you. They've been trusting in tradition. Father, I pray they come to know you. I pray they'd realize it's not about religion. It's about relationship with you. Lord, you loved us so much. You died on the cross for us. We love you in Jesus' name. Could I encourage you to come and pray for your family? Come and pray for our nation. Come and pray that God will bless you, bless your family, bless the other families that are here today. Whatever the need, whatever the reason, you come as the Lord leads. Would you stand with me, please, while we sing? God bless you.